Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Robert Yeager and the Tao Foundation. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Chuck Collins was born wealthy, but at age 26, he gave his trust fund away. The move started him on a path towards studying how to fix income inequality in America. Years later, he's senior scholar at the Institute for Policy Studies in Washington, D.C., and co-editor of Inequality.org. Collins will join us later today to talk about a new report that calls for an urgent reform of the philanthropic sector. Today, where we live, we're exploring the future of philanthropy. Have you ever applied for a grant through a major foundation? Who's making the bulk of charitable contributions today? The wealthy, of course. But how does that system of top-heavy donors affect risk in nonprofits and communities that rely on these resources? And how should foundations encourage low- and mid-range donors to contribute? Is that even possible today? Join the conversation, 860-275-7266. As always, find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Now, uh, the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving is the state's largest community foundation, and it's awarding grants to 29 communities in the greater Hartford region. And Jay Williams is the foundation's president. He's been on the job for more than a year after leaving the Obama administration, where he served in several roles, including at the U.S. Departments of Commerce and Labor. And prior to that, he was the mayor of Youngstown, Ohio. Jay Williams joins me now in studio. Welcome to the show. Lucy, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. How's Connecticut treating you? Connecticut is treating myself and my family very well. We're excited uh, about being here and putting down roots. So it's been a great experience over the past year. I ask, uh, um, uh, I want to emphasize that you're a newcomer to Connecticut because so often we hear the narrative, people leaving <laughs> Connecticut. And so as someone who grew up uh, in Ohio, you've worked in D.C., uh, you know, what's your take on how uh, we here in this state view ourselves and our state's assets? Our experience here thus far in Connecticut has been very familiar. I've been saying that while we are new to the geographic region. We are not new to the greater Hartford experience. And I say that because Youngstown, Ohio, and Hartford, Connecticut have a lot of similarities in terms of their history, their growth, their rise to prominence, and then their very public struggles. So to that end, while I very much enjoy DC, uh, my wife less so, being from the Midwest, we found ourselves feeling very much at home uh, in terms of the people, the connections. Uh, And we also are familiar with sometimes we can be our own harshest critics. So I hear the, the narrative of people leaving uh, the state of Connecticut, leaving the greater Hartford region, and there are, are indeed some who are doing that. Uh, but we're here, and we're happy to be here, and I've noticed uh, that there are others who are finding this in a very appealing place also. We're going to be talking more about uh, your experience growing up in Ohio, being a leader in Youngstown. You would mentioned the similarities between Youngstown and, and the capital city here in Hartford. But for our listeners who don't know a lot about the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving, tell us about uh, what this institution is and how it uh, helps communities in these 29 uh, happy areas. To. As you mentioned, the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving is the largest community foundation in the state, uh, one of the largest in the country. Uh, We are in our 93rd year of existence. And it's a community, it's a charitable organization uh, that's geographically based, as you described, in the greater Hartford region that receives uh, donations and people who have been very generous philanthropically from uh, all across the the 29-town region. And we invest and grant those dollars back into those towns. 
Uh, we work with nonprofits primarily. Uh, we are not a service provider, a direct service provider, but instead we have hundreds and hundreds of nonprofits across the greater Hartford region that focus on education and basic human services and arts and culture and healthcare and ed- you, you name it, economic and community development. So we're excited about the fact that this is a, an organization that has been in existence for as long as it has and has grown as a direct result of the generosity of so many people across the region, but I think even more excited about the direction that we're heading in, uh, being more informed, taking greater risk, trying to be more impactful uh, in the communities that we serve. When you say that, do you mean that your uh, shift in who you're uh, allocating resources to is changing? You know, historically, um, you know, the money going towards nonprofits, towards educational institutions, but you've got this new fund uh, where you're looking at more economic development. And tell correct. us why you've made that that transition, that shift. Well, let me let me be very clear. So the nonprofit partners that we've worked with, don't panic. We are absolutely continuing our grant making, being responsive to the needs of the communities. Uh, working with the nonprofit partners that we've worked with before. Uh, We are going to be focusing a great amount on some of the economic disparities that exist. Uh, In fact, you did a show back last month talking about the American dream, and that show uh, was a perfect embodiment of where we're moving with some of our work. So that will remain the same. But as you pointed out, we are excited about the fact that we've created a new subsidiary within the Hartford Foundation to do impact investing. Uh, The name of that subsidiary, subsidiary is HFPG Impact Greater Hartford. And the idea there is to allow us a greater degree of flexibility to invest our capital, to leverage that capital in areas that are underserved, in areas that traditionally have not seen the benefit of economic and community development projects. So uh, it's a reflection of the fact that we need to be more impactful. We are hearing that from our donors. We are hearing that from our communities. And as you look across the landscape of the state of Connecticut and the greater Hartford region, there is absolutely a dearth of that type of investment. So we're excited about that and and what it might mean for the future of our region. When you talk about community development, economic development, I understand in your background, you were also a banker at one time. So uh, when you look at that background that you had and and what kind of, uh, you know, businesses were uh, growing in Youngstown, how there was a transition. How has that shaped this shift that the Harper Foundation Public Giving is now uh, undergoing? That has absolutely informed my uh, perspective today. And, and I was in banking when it was you know, community banking, when it was about relationships and really helping to build uh, wealth and opportunity in the most challenged and underserved neighborhoods. And I actually left banking when, when the bank tended to shift away from that. So to that end, there are, as you travel through, whether it's the, the city of Hartford or any of the other 28 surrounding communities, there are so many opportunities that exist. There are so many uh, places where with the right amount of capital, with the right amount of collaboration, uh, we could see significant results. But oftentimes, the risk uh, to those types of projects and initiatives uh, is higher than what traditional financiers uh, might be willing to accept. So I think knowing that, knowing that we have the ability to be flexible, uh, it provides us a great opportunity to come in and ultimately try to help create conditions that attract other investment. We can't do it by ourselves. Uh, We have never taken that position. But if we can go in as that early stage investment and mitigate some of the risk, uh, we think that there is then great opportunity for other collaborators to come in and, and try to build some of these projects, whether they're residential in nature, whether they're job creating in nature, whether they are about improving access uh, to the residents who so often don't find themselves as a part of that uh, that uplift that happens when community development happens in communities. 
Jay Williams is in the studio with me. He's president of the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving. You can join our conversation as we talk about the future of philanthropy, 860-275-7266. Traditionally, when we think about, again, economic development, uh, the government uh, has a a place uh, at the table there. We we hear of economic development authorities, such as in Hartford, the capital city, uh, putting forth some money to help entice private developers. Why does a a charitable organization need to take... uh, to be involved in that. That's a great question. And we are not trying to, and it would be inappropriate for us to try to take the place of those agencies. They have a very important role, whether it's CRDA or other economic uh, development entities. Uh, Our role, we think, is about broadening access. Uh, Individuals, there are, are countless stories of economic development projects that have come into underserved communities, but those residents of those communities find themselves still on the outside looking in not benefiting in a substantive way uh, from that type of investment. Our interest is ensuring that the residents who have uh, not benefited from some of the other investment that have come to these communities are able to do so uh, in a sustainable way, Uh, that they are able to not just see projects, but to benefit from those projects economically, socially, uh, culturally, uh, that they see a sustained improvement in their quality of life. So that's why it takes collaboration because you know, we've got the Metro Hartford Alliance, which is a wonderful economic development organization uh, that does a tremendous job in terms of job creation and capital attraction. Uh, but at the same time, we want to make sure that those uh, individuals who have no idea who the Metro Hartford Alliance is or don't uh, associate economic development with uh, the most challenged neighborhoods in some of our communities, that they also benefit. So that's the role that a charitable organization can, and we're excited about being able to play. You mentioned this impact uh, investing. So an example would be uh, Hartford Foundation for Public Giving allocating, I think it's uh, not quite $2 million to help with the Dillon Stadium project. So again, walk us through uh, this idea of you know trying to be a partner, um, helping the residents. I guess that would be in the south end of Hartford. That's correct. Is this something that they want? This is. So this was a project uh, that had a lot of fanfare and excitement, and this was the a renaissance of Dillon Stadium, which is a historical city public facility uh, that had been underutilized for a number of years, that had uh, been a place of cultural events and neighborhood engagement, and it was just really a, a destination uh, for the residents in the city of Hartford and, and actually in the region. Uh, a proposal came to uh, bring life and activity back to that stadium, which was wonderful in and of itself. Uh, our interest came in, we wanted to ensure that there was going to be community access So we weren't just interested in helping to uh, support the building of a stadium. Nothing could have been uh, further from our mission. But what we were absolutely interested in is ensuring that there was inclusive access uh, that the community could have, whether it would be uh, athletic teams, uh, youth athletic teams, whether it would be cultural uh, access, so that when that project came online, again, the residents would not literally or figuratively find themselves on the outside saying, boy, we've got a multi-million dollar development in our backyard but we aren't able to participate. Or perhaps, you know, we'll get some free tickets or we can go watch a game, Uh, but when that field uh, could be used for a community event or when the high schools want to play a championship game, we don't want the community to see that uh, as something that they don't have access to, that they don't have use of. So that's where we were uh, very interested in providing uh, resources that would establish a community use in a way that might not otherwise be available Uh, And that's just one project of a number of other projects that we're looking at uh, that really are about inclusive community use, community benefit. And that's the driving uh, issue in our 
importance. It's not the financial return. Financial return is something that can be taken into consideration, but what's the community benefit? How can we expand that community benefit uh, is really determined of how we make those investments. Well, I know that you're new uh, to, to the Connecticut region. Uh, in Hartford especially, uh, some of these projects take a, a long time uh, to get moving, and oftentimes they're mired in lawsuits. This particular project, there were issues with the original developer and having a criminal record and, and other uh, criminal issues. And so are people skeptical, again, uh, that this is a kind of project that's going to mean something to the people of the South End and to the greater Hartford region? And is it risky for the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving to be involved in that? Well, those are great questions. Absolutely, there is some well-founded skepticism uh, about uh, projects, particularly when you look at the history of some of the previous uh, individuals that were involved. Uh, this time, you have a group of uh, local business uh, men who uh, have shown themselves to be philanthropic, who have shown themselves to be uh, contributors to this community uh, prior, years prior to this, particularly uh, a group led by uh, Bruce Mandel. And the city has uh, you know, done the due diligence uh, that would uh, hopefully allow this project to move forward in the way that it hasn't before. I think having CRDA, uh, the Capital Region Development Authority, oversee the project certainly brings a degree of credibility. Until your final question, is there risk? Absolutely. Uh, but that is a necessary part of progress and development are taking informed risk, not reckless risk, but taking informed risk. And we are uh, pleased that the board was able to uh, analyze that risk and evaluate that risk and decide that an investment in a particular part of this project uh, that would broaden community access uh, was a risk worth taking. And, and we have confidence that uh, this project is going to be successful. And we also know that as we move forward in impact investing, there will be some risk uh, you know, that uh, give us pause. Uh, but at the same time, if you don't take risk, we will not see the rewards and the development uh, that this community so much deserves. I know that uh, you're you're looking at the the Dillon uh, Stadium as uh, the first step in this impact uh, fund, but when we look at, at uh, Greater Hartford and some of the needs, including uh, housing instability, and what are your other priorities with this impact investment? That's uh, housing, making sure that there is a, a quality, affordable housing uh, within the region. Uh, projects that might be uh, supportive of entrepreneurs. Uh, small business, disadvantaged business entities that have historically not had access to the capital that they needed to start or grow their businesses, uh, that would be a priority. Uh, projects that would, you know, there are challenges of blight uh, in uh, the city of Hartford and in communities surrounding the city of Hartford. So I think the exciting part about this is that uh, community benefit being the driving factor, uh, the notion of projects that are transformative or catalytic uh, to those communities. Uh, and the flexibility that we bring. So any of those things you name, one, one of the other projects uh, is talking about how do we address the issue of food deserts uh, in parts of the community uh, where they don't have things that we take for granted. You know, if you want to or I want to, to make a meal, we can go to whatever grocery store we choose to uh, within a, a fairly short distance perhaps from where we live. There are thousands, tens of thousands of residents uh, in the greater Hartford region that don't have that, that option. So any number of those projects are projects that we might consider investing in. Jay Williams is president of the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving. He's here with us today here on Where We Live as we talk about the future of philanthropy. And we want, we're going to continue our conversation with him after the break. Take your calls to the number 860-275-7266. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live.
This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. The current philanthropic system in America today heavily skews towards the wealthy as the top donors. But are there risks to nonprofits and communities if this inequity persists? We're going to explore that question more coming up with Chuck Collins, a former trust fund kid, now senior scholar at the Institute for Policy Studies. Uh, but we invited Jay Williams here, president of the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving, to get more perspective um, from the uh, Connecticut region about how foundations choose to invest the money their donors are providing. Uh, what causes or projects are they most likely to fund? You can join our conversation, 860-275-7266. So let's talk about, uh, the. Tr- we've mentioned this uh, this new shift uh, with the impact investing, but traditionally when uh, nonprofits and community organizations uh, have a, a good initiative and they want to get it funded, I mean, what are some of the questions the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving asks? How do you vet these groups? That's a great question. And we have a, a wonderful staff that helps to educate and inform uh, about the process, about the priorities, about the areas uh, that we're funding. So there is a, a, an evaluation process that we use uh, to determine uh, the need in the community, to determine uh, the experience or the level of expertise uh, that that nonprofit might have in providing that service. Uh, we're always interested in collaboration and other sources of funding. We uh, tend not to want to be the sole source of funding uh, for a particular initiative or for a particular organization. So all of those things are taken into account, and and in doing that, as you can imagine, we uh, never have enough resources to meet the demands that exist in this community. So that's why we are always interested in trying to leverage the dollars that we have and to be a a trusted steward of those dollars so they have the greatest uh, amount of impact. The other thing that's very important is evaluating the impact. Uh, We have to be accountable to our donors. Uh, to ensure that we are uh, judicious in the use of those resources, those precious resources they provide us with. So that's another important part are the uh, nonprofit partners' ability to report uh, and to have the impact of their activities evaluated in a way uh, that lets us know, yeah, this is absolutely working. Uh, And if it isn't working, is there something we can learn to improve it? You mentioned donors, and that was my next question because when – someone is able to provide a substantial amount of money, oftentimes there's a return there, right? So they can get their name uh, on a museum or a a particular school. Um, And I'm just curious how you weigh the... um, the requests of, of these wealthy donors, and when you think about um, how to allocate the money and, and what is ethical, so to speak. Well, there are a number of different ways that donors uh, can choose to exercise their philanthropic interests. Uh, some of them uh, do it through donor-advised funds, where in a donor-advised fund, uh, they the, the donor or they can establish a an advisor uh, to direct the types of philanthropic activities they want to uh, provide grants to. There are uh, IRS laws that uh, articulate what is and is not permissible, so clearly they have to be within the bounds of those laws. Uh, but other than that, you know, nothing that is immoral or unethical or illegal, uh, that would clearly be a problem. But donors have a, a – it's limited only really by their imagination. It's limited only by their imagination and, and obviously the laws that are established under a donor advised fund. A number of donors, and this is where the Hartford Foundation really stands apart from other community foundations across the country, is that we have a significant degree of unrestricted funds. Uh, And that's where the donor says, we trust the Hartford Foundation. We've looked at the mission. We've looked at the the thrust, the core values of the foundation. And we're going to make a philanthropic donation to the foundation and then uh, allow the foundation to uh, make those grants in the way it deems best for the community. So, you know, we have most community foundations... A number of them have maybe 5 or 10 or 20 percent 
of their grants unrestricted. Uh, ours is upward of 60%. So I think that speaks volumes for the trust that donors have uh, in the Hartford Foundation. So those are two examples, and there are you know other nuances in between, but it is really about honoring donor intent. That's the core of what we're doing. So whether the donor says, you put it where you think it's best, or the donor says, here's my intention, and here's where I'd like to see those grants go. Now, uh, you know uh, the state of Connecticut's been dealing with some fiscal uh, problems of the past uh, several years. These uh, multi-billion dollar deficits aren't going away anytime soon. Uh, you're seeing uh, the state legislature, uh, you know, year after year, um, diminishing some of the money that was given to these nonprofit uh, organizations that are providing safety net programs. Absolutely. And so what kind of, where does that uh, put the Harper Foundation for Public Giving in terms of uh, seeing a lot of these nonprofits, um, you know, maybe relying on you for those resources. And, you know, that can be a precarious uh, situation when government is uh, not fulfilling obligations uh, to fund these programs. Absolutely. And we have seen an increased pressure uh, on not just on the Hartford Foundation, but on community foundations across the region uh, in light of those government cuts. <clears throat> and it's, it's an obligation, a requirement that the federal government, the state government, local government still have an obligation to provide resources. Uh, that being said, we also understand that political dynamics, dynamics can often affect that. So we have uh, increased our uh, programs that provide assistance to those nonprofits that are uh, being impacted by the cuts. Some of them uh, are transitioning out into uh, mergers, or some of them are unfortunately having to see their doors closed. But what we try to do and what we have been doing is increasing the amount of resources to those organizations to help them uh, in an orderly fashion decide to either merge or collaborate with another organization uh, to uh, provide them that bridge financing that they need until they can find other resources. Uh, it is a problem. As a matter of fact, we have collaborated with other community foundations across the state in publishing op-eds uh, speaking to the notion that we understand as community foundations we have a role, we are willing and have stepped up uh, but the state cannot abandon its obligation uh, to make sure that these nonprofits that are providing sources uh, and resources and services to state residents are also uh, receiving adequate public support. Uh, you've been um, vocal about that, but are the legislators listening to you, Jay? <laughs> uh, I, I hope they're listening. We hope they're listening. Uh, we uh, came together with uh, three other community foundations, uh, the Greater Commu the Community Foundation of Greater New Haven, uh, Fairfield County Community Foundation and Eastern Connecticut Community Foundation. Together, we cover nearly 80% uh, of the state's uh, population. So if they aren't listening to me, uh, you know, and I certainly wouldn't be so uh, presumptuous to think that, but collectively, our voice represents a significant part of the state. Uh, we are stepping up with dollars that are given to us by uh, philanthropic state residents. So I would hope that those legislatures would uh, take notice to that. And we want to be a partner. We're not here to criticize or armchair quarterback. We're here to be a partner, but it does require effort on both sides. This is where we live. Jay Williams is in studio with me. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Uh, Jay is president of the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving. You can join our conversation. Uh, we've got just a few minutes before we have to go to break. I wanted to read a tweet from a listener, uh, Jay. Uh, Kathy says, uh, one concern I have is philanthropy is driven by fewer super wealthy donors, is that these donors are less likely to be directly engaged with grassroots in the communities and not understand the unintended consequences of what they think are good ways to 
help. Uh, so maybe if you could uh, broaden uh, uh, that thought in the sense of how you're talking with donors sure. about you know how their money should be invested when you look at the needs that, out there. That's a legitimate concern, but I can tell you, fortunately, that has not been the trend that we've experienced here uh, in the Greater Hartford region. We have a a wide base of donors that we continue to uh, look to inspire, to inform, to engage. Uh, we want those donors to be of all ages and all uh, backgrounds and of all interests. So while, again, that's a legitimate concern, we're fortunate here because uh, we have the ability to be very close to our donors, and our donors are very close to us. Uh, we have donor engagement briefings where the donors ask us to do some research and bring that to them. Uh, we have donors who are uh, involved in the community shoulder to shoulder with some of the nonprofits. So it's been a, a wonderful experience here to see the level of intimacy between the donors uh, and the challenges and the opportunities that exist here in the Greater Hartford region. Well, when you look at uh, where you're getting your resources to invest, uh, you know how often are they from uh, the smaller donors in this era of crowdfunding with GoFundMe and people are able to put to, uh, forth their $50 or $100? We're a public radio station. We rely on that smaller listener support to get these programs uh, to them. But I'm just curious how the Harper Foundation can uh, get those uh, um, individuals to invest, to contribute. We are very much making an intentional effort to do that. Uh, part of the effort to do that is to demonstrate how those dollars can have an immediate impact, uh, whether it's a, a young person who is just coming into the beginning stage of their career and says, well, I have $25 a month to invest or $50 a month to invest. Uh, we're saying you don't have to wait until you have a six or seven or eight figure net worth or until you're doing your legacy planning. We welcome that. That's been a, a very much at the core of, of our ability to provide services. Uh, while at the same time, those uh, young professionals who you know want to see philanthropy happen right away, those individuals who say, hey, I've only got a few dollars, but how can those few dollars make a difference? So that's exceptionally important to us, and we welcome uh, and are excited about that prospect. Jay Williams, again, president of the Harper Foundation for Public Giving. He's going to stay with us as, again, we talk about philanthropy and uh, what the future holds uh, for uh, encouraging Americans, both wealthy and not so wealthy, to contribute towards causes that are important to them. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. And it's also a fitting topic today because it's the last day of the fall fundraising campaign. I can hear cheers coming uh, through the radio uh, as I say that. We rely on community support through donations from you to support Connecticut Public Radio. Radio and where we live. If you appreciate this programming, here's the number to call. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today we've been talking about philanthropy with Jay Williams, who's president of the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving. Now there's a report by the Institute for Policy Studies in Washington, D.C. that calls for urgent reform of the philanthropic sector. One of its co-authors is Chuck Collins. Collins is a one percenter, born wealthy, but at age 26 he gave away his trust fund. The move started him on a path towards studying income inequality in America and suggesting on ways to fix it. Collins joins us by phone. Chuck, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Lucy. I think we spoke uh, more than a year ago uh, with the release of one of your books called Born on Third Base, a one percenter makes the case for tackling inequality, bringing wealth home, and committing to the common good. And today we've been looking at charitable giving specifically. Uh, when we read your report, uh, Gilded Giving, I believe, it talks about uh, how charitable giving is very top-heavy. Why is that a problem, Chuck? Well, one of the problems is uh, that more and more of the giving pie is mega gifts, gifts by very, very wealthy donors. And what we've seen is sort of the decline of small givers. So small donors are 
giving less, and it essentially tracks kind of the declining home ownership rate. So we suspect it's because people feel economically insecure and don't have as much money to give. So it just means more power and uh, is falling in, in the hands of a smaller number of donors. You mentioned the mega wealthy. Um, is there this uh, feeling that uh, as they uh, give more and more of their money to particular charitable organizations that this is their way of paying taxes to benefit the public good? What's wrong with that way of thinking? Well, uh, taxes are just, I mean, philanthropy is not a substitute for an adequately funded tax system. Uh, and yet we sort of forget philanthropy our system subsidizes philanthropy. So if I'm a billionaire and I give $1,000 to my favorite charity, whatever it is, the taxpayers are essentially subsidizing 40 to 50 cents of that gift in lost tax revenue. So, you know, maybe I'm giving to a homeless shelter that meets urgent needs, but maybe I'm giving to, you know, a computer science lab at my daughter's elite private school. Those are each acceptable charitable gifts in the eyes of the law but they have very, very different impacts. And, and what we're seeing is wealthy people tend to give to the things that affect them, uh, arts and culture organizations, uh, schools, alma maters, things that help their children, and, and are not giving to the uh, things that are kind of a substitute for public-supported social services and that sort of thing. And how often um, are the mega wealthy uh, creating or uh, using vehicles, investment vehicles, to protect their wealth versus, as you mentioned, uh, helping uh, programs in the communities? Well, now, you know, I think most people are, are generous and, and are acting out of a generous impulse. But what we see at the very high end, I mean, the, you know, the, the, the 10 million and up donors, is it's very, very tax Based. You know, they're, they're sort of looking at how to reduce their taxes, and their giving is more incentivized by tax policy. And, uh, and so uh, one of the problems as wealth concentrates in fewer and fewer hands is some people are hiding their wealth offshore or in trusts, and some are moving it into charitable entities, which may eventually pay out and money may hit the street to serve community needs. But it may be a while, and it may be never. Uh, is part of our concern. Oh, you know, there, was, there was a lot of talk around the 2017 tax law impacting charitable giving. Uh, we were speaking with Jay Williams earlier about um, how a particular foundation here, uh, the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving, is trying to reach those low and mid-range donors. But with the change in tax law, are we going to see uh, less of those uh, uh, middle-class Americans uh, that are even interested in charitable giving, Chuck? I think it is going to have an adverse impact because, you know, but just by doubling the personal exemption, uh, the reality is a lot of low and middle income people do not give based on any kind of tax incentive. They just, uh, that they, they don't itemize their taxes and they, um, but it'll also affect uh, wealthy donors who got a substantial tax break and may not be as incentivized to give money away. So we may see an overall shrinking of the pie. Um, at the same time, you know, there are the big foundations like the Gates Foundation that are funding malaria research and are um, you know, maybe more open to uh, funding and investing in uh, projects that are innovative or experimental that uh, the government uh, would never think to do. Yeah, and I think we should say, you know, there are some, you know, terrific foundations out there. And you, you had Jay Williams on. I mean, I think the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving is one of the best of the best. They really are looking at 
high impact, broadening access. And Jay admits, you know, it can't take the place of government. And at, at its best, philanthropy is kind of a laboratory in our democracy. It sort of funds an, a vibrant, independent sector outside government, outside, uh, you know, the corporate business world to sort of innovate and test things out. But at a certain point, you have to bring those things to scale. And when we're talking about the extraordinary income and wealth inequalities that we're living through, uh, philanthropy isn't going to make a dent in really turning the tide and helping us reverse those inequalities. It's going to, in the end, be a function of uh, local, state, and federal government policy. And that's where I'm concerned because we keep focusing on philanthropy when we probably should be saying it's not up to the task. It just can't do the job. Jay Williams is still in studio with me. Jay, did you want to respond to Chuck's point? Sure. I think Chuck raises some very valid points, and I and I uh, agree with the veracity of, of much of what he said. I, I would also just hope that as we look to uh, address some of the uh, super uh, mega wealthy donors that he talked about, that we uh, don't use a machete when a scalpel might be the more appropriate tool to ensure that there aren't unintended consequences for organizations uh, and I appreciate you know the the sentiments about the Hartford Foundation and so many others uh, that understand that those uh, smaller donors are essential uh, to philanthropy and essential to bringing into uh, the improvement of their communities. I, I also agree that um, philanthropy is not a substitute for uh, a, a tax system that adequately funds these needs. Uh, I would believe, and I do believe, though philanthropy can play a leading role into help inspiring some of those things. Uh, you're right. The philanthropic resources available in any given community uh, pale a comparison to the needs. But to the extent that philanthropy can continue to highlight and keep these issues at the forefront, as it has done in the past in so many instances uh, of transforming some of our, our uh, societal changes, I, I think there's a critical role that philanthropic organizations can play. Uh, Chuck Collins, again, is on the phone with us. Jay Williams in studio. Chuck Collins, senior scholar at the Institute for Policy Studies, co-editor of inequality.org. I mentioned the report that you helped co-author, uh, Gilded Giving. What are some suggestions on how we can change up the, the philanthropic system in this country, Chuck? Well, I agree with, with Jay. We don't want to um, do anything that would harm the system, that the, the best aspects of the system. Um, you know, one of the things that, uh, that that private foundations and family foundations have is a is a payout requirement. They have to give out out five percent of their asset base every year, but they can include overhead in that. Uh, they can include you know their meetings and salaries. And so, on the kind of unfortunate abusive end of philanthropy, we're seeing uh, you know people using private foundations as a way to uh, give their kids jobs and, um, you know, s soak up a lot of the resources that could be getting out on the street uh, in a kind of with their overhead. So, you know, one simple reform is just exclude overhead or cap the amount of overhead that can be considered part of a foundation's minimal giving. Uh, Jay also talked about donor-advised funds, and there are community foundations like his that have donor-advised funds, and as he described, 40% of his donors give through those donor-directed funds. But the largest, at the, at the national level, the largest recipient of charitable money now is the Fidelity Charitable Gift Fund, a, a sort of a corporate gift fund, uh, and Schwab is number two. I mean, they, they've sort of pushed the, the Red Cross and United Way out of first place for receiving donations. And there's no requirement in that case that those funds move on once the donor has sort of made the initial 
contribution and taken their tax break, uh, those funds could sit for forever. And so another policy change would be to require a payout within a couple of years to keep the money moving and flowing, which I think is really the intent uh, of our tax laws. Jay, what's your response? Chuck is absolutely right in terms of the landscape now with Fidelity taking such a prominent role. And we find ourselves uh, needing to ensure that we differentiate why an individual who has philanthropic interests uh, would come to hopefully the Hartford Foundation or any other community foundation versus a Fidelity. And for those that go to Fidelity, it's not a bad thing. Uh, but in terms of the payout, so in our donor advised funds, we are very cognizant and, and conscious and aware and, and counsel and work with our donors to ensure uh, that those funds are being paid out into the community. So, you know, that's a legitimate point. How do we uh, continue to acknowledge and, and ensure that community foundations that are doing the right thing uh, aren't uh, unintentionally harmed by uh, those instances where individuals do abuse it? But, you know, the landscape has changed and, and we are uh, making sure we use technology uh, and the donor experience for those donors that want a more straightforward off of their, you know, uh, mobile phone donation experience versus those donors who want to sit down uh, with one of our professionals and be counseled and informed and engaged uh, before they make their decision. So it's, it is it is a challenge, and Chuck's pointed it out very accurately. This is where we live as we talk about the future of philanthropy uh, with our guest, Jay Williams, president of the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving, and Chuck Collins, senior scholar at the Institute for Policy Studies. Uh, I wanted to take a quick call. Mary is in Hartford. Mary, we have a couple minutes. Go ahead. Time is money, and a lot of people don't have the 100,000 millions of dollars to give, but they give decades of volunteer time. And often they're just forgotten and uh, never really accounted for in either the academic or or the philanthropic circles, uh, not invited to the galas because they can't pay the high fees. What what can philanthropic organizations do to recognize that there are a lot of people who don't have money but maybe have invested the time? Thanks, Mary, for uh, your question. Jay Williams? Sure. Uh, Mary's brought up a great point. Philanthropy is about time and talent and treasure, and sometimes and oftentimes that includes financial resources, but in so many instances it doesn't. Uh, one of the approaches we take is that at our uh, annual celebration of giving, it is not a, a high-dollar gala event. In fact, it's a zero-dollar event to recognize our donors and our nonprofit partners and members of the community uh, to the very point that uh, we are seeking to inspire philanthropy across the spectrum, uh, whether, again, it's $5 a month or uh, someone has uh, time to volunteer, which is a huge issue that we've heard uh, as we've engaged each of our communities. So there are a number of ways, and, and she's absolutely right. It does need to be recognized beyond uh, just the dollars that so often are associated with it. Uh, Chuck Collins is on the phone. We've just got two minutes left, uh, Chuck. Uh, when we look at uh, the trends in crowdfunding, uh, what do you see in terms of how that may play a part in uh, changing uh, how Americans view charitable giving? Well, what we're seeing is is that uh, millennials give. They like to crowdsource. It doesn't. It uh, many of those projects are not tax exempt projects. They're not a function of the tax system. So. We may see some, you know, that is where small givers are kind of stepping up. Um, but I would just say that the, the big concern is looking forward, looking into the future, we're going to see more austerity in state and local governments, more uh, largesse in the, the growing sort of billionaire private foundations. So you're going to have impoverished cities and wealthy 
nonprofits. And if you go to New Haven and you look around, you can see, you know, a, a certain university and other institutions that are having building booms across the street from public infrastructure that's impoverished. And that's the concern is over time, where are we going with this? If we, if we, if we, um, you know, have an unaccountable sector of wealthy donors who um, are not giving to the Hartford Foundation, but are just giving to their pet projects, whatever those may be. We'll have to leave it there. Chuck Gollins, again, it's a, great, a pleasure to speak with you. And if our listeners go to our website, wmpr.org slash where we live, they'll see uh, the several books that you have written to get more information. Chuck, thanks again. Thank you. And Jay Williams, president of the Harper Foundation for Public Giving. We hope you come back. Thanks, Lucy. I'd love to. This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalbethanchel. Today's show produced by Carmen Baskoff. It's also the fall fundraising campaign here at WMPR. You know that public radio uh, relies on uh, the community support, uh, small and large donations uh, to keep programming coming to you each and every day. Guess what? It's the last day. I know that's uh, good news to your ears, but if you would like to support this program and Connecticut Public Radio, here's another number to call.